This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl, and my guest this week is Joey Coleman. Joey is a professional speaker. He is a writer. He's all things customer and employee experience. And that also includes his book, Never Lose a Customer Again, Turn Any Sale into Lifelong Loyalty in 100 Days. Joey, welcome to the podcast, man. Oh, Nick, thanks so much for the invitation. So excited to be here. And thanks to everybody who decided to listen today. Hopefully, we're going to have a great conversation and uh, give you some ideas of things you can do to enhance the customer experience. Boom. That is the goal. So the first thing that I want to talk about, and then I ask every single guest at the very beginning, is what's one thing people might not know about you? Oh, one thing that people might not know about me. You know, I've, I've had the pleasure of uh, speaking on a lot of different stages and being on a lot of different podcasts. So let me try to see if I can come up with something that I don't think people would know. Uh, this one actually came up this weekend with my boys. We were outside watching and we saw the International Space Station go over. And I said, do you know that daddy's been on the International Space Station? True story. Now, I was on the station when it was in Houston before they launched it, but mm. I was in the modules that are now flying around space as part of the International Space Station. So it's kind of a trick question, but yes, I have had the pleasure of being on it uh, when it was still earthbound. I would love the opportunity to be on it now that it is spacebound. You know, you just got to keep pinging it with emails. Uh, yep, maybe exactly. Just DMs. Yeah, you just got to get on it until they're either going to block you or invite you. I am, I am ready to make the journey. If anybody out there is listening, uh, has an available seat on a rocket to the International Space Station, know that I'm happy to carry your bags. First Class to Space. I see that as your next new book. There you go. This, the spatial experience. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your, your book that you got. So Never Lose a Customer Again, Turn Any Sale into Lifelong Loyalty in 100 Days. You know, why, why do customers or why do companies lose, lose customers today? Obviously, there's a whole boatload of reasons, but what's some of the reasons that you have? Yeah, I think that the, when we think about why customers leave, we can break that down into a couple of different categories. There are biological reasons, uh, there are structural reasons, and there are just kind of human operating uh, behavioral reasons. Let's go to the biological reasons first. Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day, most humans love the chase, but they're not as excited about the catch. And we need only look at how people behave in their personal uh, intimate relations to see proof of this. People seem to really get excited about dating, less excited about settling down, really excited about the new experience, less excited about the experience that continues to happen again and again. So there's some biological imperatives at play. Then there are some structural imperatives at play. Most organizations do not hesitate to spend time, money, and effort on client or customer acquisition marketing and sales, filling the funnel, driving people to the front door. But if you ask them to start spending money on the people who've already said they want to be customers, the people who are already in the fold, everybody gets real sheepish about it. They're like, oh, well, how much should I spend? And I really don't know. And what's the ROI on that? It's like, wait a second. You have no problem spending money before they liked you, 
Why do you have a problem spending money after they like you? Additionally, the people who are usually responsible for the marketing and sales aren't often the same people that are responsible for the account management and the ongoing relationship. So there's a handoff. Think of it almost as like, you know, we're recording this with uh, Olympics in the air, people starting to think about the Olympics. You know, when we think about a baton drop during the Olympics on a relay team, I don't know if you've ever seen this, Nick, but it's not... They can't just stop running and pick the baton up again. If you drop the baton, you're disqualified. You don't get to finish the race. The same holds true for our customers. We do that handoff between marketing and sales to account management or account services, and there's a baton drop, and we think, oh, no, it's okay. We'll just pick it up and keep running. No, if you don't do that smoothly, efficiently, and effectively, you don't get to continue the race. And then there's kind of the behavioral human process piece of this. And that is that humans have a tendency when stuff gets familiar to not pay as much attention to it. So this speaks a little bit to the biological imperative, but it actually speaks more to the behavioral imperative of when customers are being courted, they're being wined and dined, they feel special, they feel unique, they feel interesting. And then once they sign on the dotted line, they feel neglected. All of the effort and attention that had been going towards them now doesn't. And kind of that human behavior of taking things for granted combines with the biological imperative and the structural imperative to create a situation where depending on what industry you're in, and we, when I was putting together my book, we researched all industries around the world, small, medium, and large product and service, online and offline, domestic and international. And we found that somewhere between 20 and 70% of new customers will decide to stop doing business with you before the 100 day anniversary. 20 to 70%. In banking, it's 32%. In the restaurant industry, it's anywhere between 50 and 70%, depending on the type of cuisine and the type of restaurant. Auto mechanics, 68%. Software as a service, 20%. Cell phones, 21%. Industry after industry after industry, where people are leaving as quickly as they show up. But nobody wants to talk about this. Everybody wants to talk about, well, how do we get more instead of how do we keep the ones we already have? Man, you're like a rain man with those stats. I am very, very impressed. Well, I'm so, a recovering attorney, Nick. And one of the things <laughs> I learned as a lawyer is when you stack evidence, and I know this isn't as popular these days to look to facts and evidence as the proof for our belief points. But my theory was if I could prove that this was happening in every industry, then there's no excuse for an organization not to pay attention to it. And what I found is that scarier than the 20 to 70% who leave is that the typical business has no idea what their percentage is. Yeah. So going back and, to what you said, you touched on it a little bit. You said companies don't spend the time, money, and energy like they used to. At prior to that, prior to the ink, they kind of get bamboozled at the beginning. And if it's time, money, and effort at the beginning, prior to that signature. So why is that? Why don't companies spend that extra time, money, and effort and court them after marriage per se? Well, I think there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one, we, you know, it goes back to those biological imperatives. We're more excited about chasing the new than maintaining the existing. I went on Amazon and I searched for books that are written on marketing, just the keyword marketing. And I wrote down how many results I got. And then I searched sales and I wrote down how many results I got. And I added those two numbers together and I got just over 1.1 million books that have been written on how to get a customer. 
I then searched customer experience, customer service, customer acquisition, relationship management, account management, all the phrases that you and I could come up with to describe what happens after the sale. I added all those numbers together, even though a customer service search might end up with the same book as a customer experience, but didn't, didn't worry about that, didn't dedupe or worry about it, just added the numbers together and I got barely 30,000 books. So for those of you keeping score at home, what that means is for every 43 books that have been written on how to get a customer, one book has been written on how to keep a customer. Number two, most CEOs, most senior executives come up through marketing and sales. So when they get to lead the company, they're more interested in growth that's external, that's new acquisition than growth that is organic, that is built within the base. Last reason we see it from a structural point of view is in the typical business, the person who's responsible for customer experience or customer service reports to the head of sales or the head of marketing. Now, that person then reports to the CEO. If you think that me as the head of sales and marketing is going to go meet with the CEO and is going to talk about customer experience when my title is sales and marketing, you haven't spent enough time around humans. Yeah, right? no it's just not going to happen. And so it's not because any of these organizations are bad or they're anti-customer experience. It's that they haven't made the structural changes and or the investments of time, effort, and money to actually make it a priority. It's just lip service in a lot of organizations. Yeah, I would 100% agree it's it's lip service. So you, you talk about in the book, though, it's, it's turning any sale into lifelong loyalty in 100 days. Why is it 100 days to get that CX right? Yeah, it's interesting. It doesn't take a full 100 days every time. But what the research shows is that is the sweet spot amount of time that customers will give you to establish a relationship. The same research that shows that 20 to 70% will leave in the first 100 days shows that if on day 101, a customer is loving the relationship, they're feeling well taken care of, they think you're amazing, they're excited about this, in the typical business, they will stay for five years. So I'm not asking people who are listening to focus on customer experience all day, every day. Although that would be great, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to lay a foundation. I'm asking you to focus on the new customer onboarding, to create a foundation, to make deposits in the karmic bank account. So that when things go wrong, and let's be candid, they will go wrong. Why? Because that's life. Because we're human, things are going to not work the way we planned. We want to be able to make withdrawals against the deposits we've already made instead of having things go wrong when we're in even balance or, God forbid, a negative balance. Right. So I think it's all about what are we doing to focus on this? Now, some of the people listening may say, Nick, well, Joey, you don't understand in my industry just to get the paperwork done, just to get you signed up, to get your account created takes more than 100 days. So guess what? First 100 days, it doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to you even more. Because if you're telling me it takes 100 days before I see any type of return, any type of value, I would ask you in what other area of your life? You as a consumer, are you willing to wait more than 100 days before you get any type of value? Most people aren't willing to wait two days for Amazon Prime to ship their packages. (laughs) They want them in less than two days. Most people aren't willing to wait for someone to call them back when they fill out a form on a website for five days, for 10 days. Imagine saying, oh, great. We're so glad you're interested in doing business with us. We'll be back to you in three months. You're moving on. So 
All I'm asking people to do is focus on that initial time period and it completely changes the conversation. Yeah, that's great. So go back to the, the group. So it's the sales group who signs it and there's potentially customer service, account executive, uh, customer success, or fill in the blank. Is it that when once sales is done, typically, and maybe I'm just generalizing here, but they kind of wash their hands and say, hey, I no longer get paid on this opportunity. After go live, I get paid on prior, once signature happens, and if they leave within the first year, it's okay. I'll bring them right. back in year three, four, or five. For another commission. Again. Exactly. Right. So why, why maybe, is there another option that maybe customer success or customer service gets incentivized based off of keeping them and retaining them? Yeah, I'd go back even further than that, Nick. Why not incentivize sales on retention? Why not say to your salespeople, here's the deal. We're going to give you a 20% commission on their sales in year one. But if they renew in year two, we're going to up that to 22%. In year three to 25%. In year four, we're going to jump from 25 to 30%. I don't know about you, Nick. I worked in sales for quite a while. I'd look at that and go, huh, ongoing residual work that all I have to do is lay a solid foundation in the first one. I'm going to go get better clients better prospects to come in the door automatically. Then you go to the customer success and retention team, which in most organizations, they're not on commission. They are not incentivized to keep people. They're just told that's your job. What if we change the incentives? What if we make it uh, an incentive for them to increase retention? What if we give them a piece of the initial sales commission we were going to give the salesperson and what if we say to them from the outset, you know how that salesperson, because let's be candid, in most organizations, there's a silo. There's the silo of the salespeople and there's the silo of the account managers. And as a general rule, those people don't like each other. And part mm -hmm. of the reason they don't like each other is the salespeople get to have all the fun, or at least that's the mm -hmm. perception from inside the organization. They get to go to the golf tournaments and wine and dine the clients and have the big expense accounts. What if we did that on the account management side? What if we said in the typical business, they're going to spend somewhere between eight and 10% of revenues on marketing. What if we took that number to 6% and gave the remaining two to 4% to account managers? And we said, you can spend this money on whining and dining, on events, on doing special gifts for the clients. Oh, now we've changed the conversation. We've changed the game. And people start to feel like they matter after the sale instead of only mattering when they're a prospect. So there are structural things we can do to change, to acknowledge the human behavior within our teams. I think that's a more effective way of doing this than letting the silos keep standing. I'm a farm kid. I grew up in the Midwest, right? Silos are great on the farm. They are horrible in your organization. And everybody knows this and everybody talks about this. But yet our behaviors perpetuate these silo structures. Yeah, those grain bins, they're hard to punch through. So I don't, I mean, good luck uh, getting those to communicate. Uh, I don't, they don't hard. even have hands. They're real hard to punch. And by the way, on top of that, if you've ever spent any time in a farming community and you see silos, tall, these tall, like, you know, 20, 30 story silos built up, how do they connect those? They connect them with a little thin bridge at the very top. Mm -hmm. That is terrifying to walk across. And they're that's hot inside. Yeah. And that's how most organizations are structured. Yeah, there's a connection yeah. between marketing and sales. But by the way, you better be a tightrope walker. You better ready to be falling to your death if you misstep on this relationship. No, we got to shorten the stack. 
make the connections more frequent. Think of like a Minneapolis and the, you know, the way you can walk around buildings in Minneapolis, two floors up in the Skyway system or Des Moines, Iowa has the same thing. That to me is a better model. If we want to have separate divisions, fine, but make sure there are lots of bridges connecting the divisions with lots of people walking across those bridges regularly. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Yeah, I would 100% agree. And I like what you said about incentivizing both the sales group and the customer success or the account managers which would help reduce those silos. They would actually communicate and say, hey, how's that, how's that customer doing? Is there anything I can help up? Here's the plan. Here's what I did. Here's what I did. Here's, the, here's all my notes at prior. Did you know that they like these things? There's, uh, who was it? Was it uh, John DeJulius? Uh, he's got the, uh, the group called the DeJulius Group. And he- Yeah, John's a great guy and a personal friend. Love John yeah. and his work. Yeah, he's great. And he talks about, they write little notes like, um, and I, I'm going to- uh, completely forget about what the acronym is, but, you know, tell me about your family. Tell me about your career. Tell me about your aspirations and your dreams. And I'm not going to put that in, in CRM and ask line by line, what are those things? But maybe is that salesperson, as they acquire those information, that information, they push it over back to the account manager and say, Hey, just letting you know, here's the, here's the five things that they told me on the journey that I had over, over those 18 months. And then you can kind of surprise them with, uh, whatever that is from that two to 4% uh, slush fund that you can able to, to, to get them all excited about. But I, I love that idea. Absolutely. And I, and I think you bring up an excellent point, Nick. When we are recording information about our customers, we never want them to feel like they're answering a survey to tell us what they care about so we can feed it back to them later. What we want to do is sit and what I like to think of is wait for the golden nuggets to drop from the sky. So I'm a recovering criminal defense lawyer. I practiced with my dad. And one of the things my dad taught me when we were in the courtroom is when a witness is on the stand and they're talking about what they saw, you've got to be focused and listening. You've got to wait for the golden nuggets, the little things that they're going to say that are going to fall from the sky and you can catch them. For Harry Potter fans out there, it's like catching the golden snitch, right? It's going to fly by. If you're not paying attention, it's going to be gone before you noticed it. My thought is, why don't we teach everyone on our team to catch the golden nuggets, to record those in the CRM? And then it gives us the opportunity to feed that information back later. And we don't feed it back with an intention of making a sale, although often that happens. We don't feed it back with an intention of getting a referral or increasing the share of wallet, although that actually often happens. We feed it back as proof that we were listening, that when they shared something personal intimate, special, a hope, a dream, a desire, a fear, a worry, where they like to vacation, their kids' names, whatever it may be, that we can 
connect on a personal and emotional level, as opposed to just connecting on a business level. How many widgets are you ordering this quarter? What kind of service level agreement are we going to create? You know, those type of things, which while valuable, do not create the kind of connections that people go home and tell their spouse about. Yeah. And at the end of the day, customers' expectations are constantly changing and they're always, in, they're always getting more and more difficult for the company to reach that expectation. But if you can be that company that changed and listened to what you were saying, I, I brought on Chris Voss, the international hostage negotiator with the FBI, and he, he talks about active listening and tactical empathy. And he's like, yes. just, just, just be present for one minute. Just let it, let them go. Nobody calls into customer service happy. Just let them have it. Just like a hostage negotiation. He's like, I, I sold jail time for a living and I was successful 98% of the time. He's like, it was all about listening and providing yes. it. And then he talks about labeling too. And we can go all, talk all sorts about that. But 100% when inside customer service, when you're interacting with 16 different applications and you're trying to ask them what the weather is in, in Des, Moines, Des Moines, Iowa or Duluth, Minnesota, for that matter, they're doing it be, not because they actually care, care about the weather. They're deferring it because they're, they're floating around all the other technologies and trying to find a way to, to add, add noise. And it's not actually sitting down, being present and taking care of the customer first. And, and you know, I guess that goes down to technology and process, but uh, we Absolutely. can go down a whole rabbit hole. Well, no, Nick, you're spot on. And I mean, here's the thing. If you're a leader and you're listening to this and that idea of 16 different screens for your customer service rep to navigate sounds familiar, change that. Yep. Stop that behavior. What are we doing? What if, what if we said to our salespeople, here's the deal. We're going to give you, we're going to tell you that there's a meeting going on that you have to be at. It's at one of 16 different locations. And you're going to find out in the first 30 seconds of the meeting where it is. And your job's going to be to get to that meeting before they realize you're not in the room. If we said that to our sales, we'd be like, that's laughable. That's insane. We would never do that to our salespeople. Yeah. Yet that's what we do to our account managers. Oh, and by the way, solve their problem as soon as you get there in the least amount of effort. Yeah, exactly. And to your point earlier, nine times out of 10, what we're really lacking is empathy. So quickly, we want to move to the solution instead of letting the person feel heard. You know, I, I liken a lot of the stuff in customer experience to dating and to real personal relationships, because it's something that I think at some level we can all relate to. As a, you know, when I started dating my wife, we've now been married for 10 years. One of the things that was my usual default, and I'm not proud of this, I'm just being honest, was that when she came to the table with a problem, I was ready with a solution. I was all about, let me fix that for you. Let me solve this. And what I learned over time, thanks to her patience and guidance, was that more often than not, she wasn't looking for me to solve. She was looking for me to listen, for me to express empathy, for me to show that I was in it with her. And our customers are the exact same way. I get that there's still a lot of businesses that incentivize on time to resolution and number of calls to resolution. And I get that. And that kind of incentivization and behavior often can be the death knell of a call center or a contact center or an account services team. Because if we're racing the clock to fix it, we're not taking the time to actually listen and to actually show empathy and connect. 
Yeah, and it's not even in, it's customer service for sure. There's a ton of flaws where people are, are measuring the wrong, wrong thing at the wrong time. But the same is true if you, even if you look at fast food. Fast food has, sometimes they have the shot clock where he says, hey, they order the food, they have so many seconds or, you know, 63 seconds to get this to the customer and they're frantic around there instead of actually delivering the experience that they, that they should be. And, and I, it's so frustrating to see customer service or retail or anywhere else in between uh, delivering on or being measured on things that don't necessarily matter to the customer's experience. Absolutely. And ask yourself the question, with that 63-second shot clock, would taking an extra 5 to 10 seconds to check and make sure that you actually got the burger with no cheese ketchup only in the bag instead of the burger with everything in the bag, would that negatively or positively impact the overall experience? What if the experience was I didn't have to sit at the drive-through and check the order as I handed it back to the people in the car? I don't know about you, Nick. Whenever we're traveling as a family and we end up going through a drive-through, it's like everyone's on high alert. When the bags come in, it's like immediately open. Make sure everything's right. We're not putting the car and drive and pulling away from this window until we are 100% sure that the order is accurate. The reason for that is because we've conditioned, as Joe Pesci would say, that they blank us at the drive-thru, right? And if you're familiar with the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They blank you at the drive-thru. The moral of the story is we've accepted that culturally in so many ways. We've accepted that, that the call center isn't there to help you. They're there to hinder you. We've accepted the fact that the customer service rep is, you know, it's policy. It's, I'm sorry, that's just the way we do things. It's, I, I can't do anything about it. We've accepted this kind of behavior. And I think the reality is, as we look to life post COVID, as we look to the fact that I think COVID has been an accelerant for customer expectation and customer experience and and what people are really looking for. The old way of doing business is no longer acceptable. We're going to have to up our game. Good news is there's plenty of room for improvement. Good news is we'll never be done. Ooh, wait, that feels like bad news too, but actually it's good news because it means there will be constantly new ways to learn, to enhance the experience, to grow, and to serve our clients even better. Yeah, and the same is true as, as individuals. Right. If you think, oh, I'm always, I'm done learning. I know, I know exactly about customer service or customer experience or customer success or the millions of books that you just searched for, read them all, I'm done. That's exactly the problem that you have. <laughs> you need to go back and continue to be that, that lifelong learner in the same is true in customer service and customer experience. Nick, I couldn't agree more. I'm a big fan of the lifelong learner approach. You know, I have said repeatedly that if I ever reach the point where I think I'm done learning, plant me in the dirt right now. Don't let me waste oxygen if I think I'm done. You're never done. But that's, there can be some joy in that. There can be some frustration in that. But that's where it actually starts to get exciting. When you're playing in the one to 2% of a level of expertise that other people gave up on learning more about and you're in there, it's rarefied air. It can be super fun up there. Yeah, rarefied air. I'm using that in the next week somehow. I don't know how, but I'm using it. That was, that was awesome. So, uh, Joey, I got uh, two more questions I ask every guest. So the first one is what book or person, speaking of book, has influenced you the most in the past year? And then second one is if you could leave a note to all the customer service uh, professionals, and it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? 
Oh, I love both of these. Let me go with, take them in inverse order, if I may. So okay. the, yep. uh, the note that I would leave to all customer service professionals would say, lead with empathy, then give them some more empathy, then solve the problem. I haven't been in an experience in my life, and I don't know of anyone who has, where they've said, you know what, I've had enough empathy. I feel fully cared for and taken care of. I, I don't need any more. Humans need more empathy. We live in an era where most humans aren't getting the level of empathy and connection they want in their homes. They're not getting the level of empathy and connection they want in the workplace. They're not getting the level of empathy and connection that they want in their school or in their church or their religious institution or their association. You know, we are, we are lacking as a society in empathy. And I say as a society, and I mean that globally, not just here in the United States, there's opportunities for more empathy. So I would say lead with empathy, then give them some more empathy, then talk about the solutions. Now, the book or person in customer service or experience that influenced me the most in the past year, this is a tricky one because I've got a lot of friends in the CX space, a lot of folks who I admire. We mentioned John DeJulius earlier. There's Scott McCain. There's Jay Baer. There's, you know, a bunch of folks who are just doing an incredible job in the space. But the one who I'd say has probably influenced me the most in the last year is a guy by the name of Dan Gingas. Dan Gingas is my co-host on the Experience This podcast. And I would say where he has influenced me the most in the last year, and we've, we've been reporting our podcast, we've been doing, we have an online game show called Experience Points. We do a, a lot of fun things in the CX space. But Dan has this model, and I don't want to give away the whole model, where one of the uh, letters, if you will, in his acronym is WITTY. And he talks about brands being WITTY. And that's not funny, it's witty and there's a difference. And I would say it has elevated my thinking around what is the way that we can inject even more humor, even more playfulness, even more wit into our interactions. So he's got a great new book, uh, The Experience Maker, coming out in, uh, in the fall. Highly recommend, I've had the chance to read it early. Uh, but if you're not familiar with Dan Gingas, G-I-N-G-I-S-S -S, and his work, go check out Dan. He's an awesome human being. Yeah, he is an awesome human being. He was on the podcast. Uh, Jay is going to be on the podcast. Scott was on the podcast. It's like cheers. Everybody belongs, right? There's a lot of incredible, incredible people in the space. And there's a lot of incredible people, I would say, that are kind of tangential the, to the customer experience space, but are also doing incredible work worth paying attention to. Um, Neen James comes to mind. She wrote in a book all, all about attention called Attention Pays, which I thought was a, one of my favorite book titles of all time. Instead of pay attention, it's Attention Pays. Uh, she does a great job. Laura Gassner Odding is a great thinker all about uh, limitless and the possibilities that we have as humans and individuals and how that can translate into the workplace. So yeah, some incredible uh, folks out there. This is the joy of being a lifelong learner, right, Nick? There's lots of people to talk to, lots of people to learn from, lots of uh, episodes to listen to. Uh, and it's, uh, it's all hopefully contributing to a better experience as humans for all of us. Yeah, and I would highly recommend everybody else to go check out, listen to my podcast first, and then go over and listen to every episode of uh, Joey and Dan's uh, Experience This podcast. It's it's awesome, and it is witty. I, I will I will admit that. Um, Joey, what's the best way for my listeners to to find you, get a hold of you? 
Yeah, the best way to find me is to come to my website, joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a baby kangaroo or a five-year-old, you know. Uh, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation, joeycoleman.com. There you'll find videos. You can download a first 100 days implementation kit that'll help you get started on uh, making those first 100 days really matter. Um, I'm much better there uh, than on the Twitters and the Instas and on the Snaps and all of that, all the social media. Um, not as much for me, but you, you can find my co-host Dan Gingis there. He's, he's our social media representative. He is. Or like Bill Belichick, I think he calls it like Insta face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Joey, thank you so much, man. I had a blast and uh, wish you but nothing but the success of the rest of the year. Thanks, Nick. Same to you. Appreciate you having on me show. And thanks to everybody for listening. Hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did with Nick. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing it with them by giving them a link of this episode or directly from your app. And last, if you'd like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.